Praise the Lord for that. Thank God for those bedrock truths that make us who we are. You can be seated if you have your Bibles. I want you to take them uh, to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 27. Matthew chapter 27. And look with me at verse number 26. Matthew 27, verse number 26. I believe the last time we missed our opportunity on the fifth Sunday to observe the Lord's Supper. And so I thought we would take today as it being the fifth Sunday, and it's when we usually observe the Lord's Supper here together, and, uh, and, and take our mind's eye around the cross and uh, let, us, let us reflect upon and obey the ordinance of Jesus in uh, taking the Lord's Supper today. Matthew chapter number 27, and look at verse number 26. Let me give you the context. Jesus has already been found guilty by the Sanhedrin, turned over to Pilate. They are insisting that Jesus be crucified. Uh, Pilate, uh, uneasy about giving this man a death sentence, puts him through a series of questionings both with Herod and with himself. Hoping to appease the Jews, he turns over Jesus to be scourged, bringing him back from the scourging thinking that would be enough, they still cry for him to be crucified. Matter of fact, in verse number 25, just previous to our text, the crowd cries, His blood be upon us and our children. Pick up reading in verse 26. Then released he, that means Pilate, he Barabbas unto them, and when he had, had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and they put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns and put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand, they bowed the knee before him, mocking him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after they had mocked him and they took the robe off from him, and put his own raiment on him, they led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and, and they compelled him to bear his cross. And when they had come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots that they might... Be full, that, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. I want to take our thoughts uh, around that thought of them sitting down and watching him. And I want, to, I want to speak to you this morning on when I survey the wondrous cross. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would uh, take all of the, the, the thoughts that pull us away from this moment. God, that divert our attention, uh, things that we will do in the future, things that we'll do in the coming hour. God, that you would alleviate those from our mind and you would, you would focus our eyes, the eyes of our minds upon the cross. God, take us back to that bloody hillside on which the Son of God died for the sons of men. God, I pray that you would 
your Holy Spirit would penetrate our hearts with the enormity of this moment. And God, as we approach the table, the the bread and the wine, I pray that we would do so with, with minds that have freshly come from Calvary and feel the weight of what we are doing and its, and its meaning. Father, I pray that you would, that you would cause our hearts to reflect. And, and as the First Corinthians talks about, we would judge ourselves, that we would take a, a, the eyes of inspection upon our hearts and minds. God, that we would confess sin and, and be done with our selfishness and our, our ingratitude and our, our thoughtlessness about what you've done for us and, and repurpose our hearts to loving and serving and yielding our lives to you. God, I pray that you would help us to rightly, rightly obey the order that you have given given to us to observe these things again and again until you come. Father, I pray for those that may be here without the Lord Jesus. May the Holy Spirit convict and draw them to the cross and find saving grace and mercy through it. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Precious name, amen and amen. As a little boy, Isaac Watts was granted by God an amazing gift. Years ago when I uh, listened to the audio book on his biography, there was a quaint story of how that they were all sitting at a dinner table. This is when Isaac Watts was a little boy and Isaac uh, uh, saw a mouse run a scurry across the the floor near in the house and he immediately right there at the table come up with this quaint and hilarious little rhyming scheme or poem about that little mouse he was he was an amazingly gifted young man and he was prone to quickly and effortlessly producing rhymes and prose and verses that would often astound his parents On one such occasion, it was when they were coming back from a day of worship. This is in the late 1600s when he was a little boy and they were coming back from worship and his mind was preoccupied with the songs that they had sung during the worship service. Back then, this particular congregation, they saw the Bible as being restrictive as to only singing the psalms. As you can tell, a lot of those psalms that are translated into English don't rhyme. They're, they would be really difficult to sing. And so people in the past had, had come up with certain rhyming schemes that were really forced and blocky and very difficult. It wasn't the easiest thing to sing. And so young Isaac was preoccupied by that and he, he questioned his father as to why we don't sing songs that are easier to sing in church that are The ones that we sing are so difficult. Well, I won't go into detail about the discussion. His father pushed back on that a little bit, and saying basically something, it was good enough for your grandfather and your great-grandfather, it should be good enough for you, young man. But he ended the little discussion back and forth and said this to his son, if you don't like our hymns, then let me hear one you have written which is better. Just like this. Little Isaac Watts reached into his pocket and pulled out a folded piece of paper and it started with these words. Behold the glories of the Lamb amidst his Father's throne. Prepare new honors for his name and songs before unknown. (laughs) He He followed that with five 
more verses to a hymn. His father, dumbfounded, stopped in his tracks, reached across and placed his arms around his son. He hastily apologized for his critical words and then asked for a copy of the hymn that he wrote that very Sunday. By next Sunday, they were singing that in his congregational church. You know, our hymnals are blessed to this day with many hymns of Isaac Watts. When we sing every Christmas time, even the world, many of the people of the world know the words to joy to the world. That was an Isaac Watts hymn. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. That's an Isaac Watts hymn. Others are, am I a soldier of the cross? Jesus shall reign. But of all the hymns of Isaac Watts, when I survey the wondrous cross is generally considered not to be just the greatest hymn that Isaac Watts has written, but one of the greatest hymns ever written. It is reported that Charles Wesley, a profound and prolific hymn writer in his own right, said he would have rather have written that hymn, when I survey the wondrous cross, than all of his other hymns. It generally is believed that this hymn was inspired by Watts' contemplation of Galatians 6.4. Let me read it for you. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. The original title of the hymn was Crucifixion to the World by the Cross of Christ. I'm just going to read you, as we go through this message, I'm going to read all of the, of the verses uh, that are most popular from the uh, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. But let me read the first two for you as we begin. Uh, Isaac Watts starts, When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them through His blood. What a wonderful words from Isaac Watts. As you can take by the title, when Isaac Watts wrote this hymn, he wrote it as if he were looking and watching as Jesus was crucified on the cross, when he surveyed, when he looked upon the wondrous cross of Christ. Our text, in many realities, our text tells of soldiers, the soldiers that crucified Jesus doing that very same thing. For if you go to verse number 36, it says that after they crucified him and they took his garments and they were casting lights, it says that they sitting down watched him there. For just a few moments, I want us to watch Jesus. To survey Him in agony on the cross and contemplate a few points of meaning that are found in the death of Jesus. The first thing I want you to think about is to let us reflect upon His sacrifice. Let us reflect upon His sacrifice. After being unjustly condemned by the crooked cord of the Sanhedrin, 
who broke every one of their own laws time and time again to ramrod a guilty verdict onto Jesus while hiding in the dark shadows of midnight. Jesus was sent off to Pilate, then to Herod, then back to Pilate. Pilate tried to appease the Sanhedrin by having Jesus flogged, a punishment that many never truly survived, yet they still called for Jesus' death. It was then that Pilate made the most nonsensical judgment in all of history. After finding no fault in this man, he handed him over to be crucified. The Roman garrison, as we read, began to pummel the head and the face of Jesus. They cleared their throats and sprang him with their spittle. They mocked him uh, and teased, uh, teased him and crowned him with a wreath of thorns. Finally, the hour had come for the public execution of Jesus. He was taken, carrying his cross to Golgotha. No doubt this Roman detail <coughs> had done this several times, if not thousands of times. Several soldiers, when they came to the place of the crucifixion, would tackle the criminal, holding his flailing arms and legs down to the cross. Then a soldier would grab a hammer and an and a iron nail and begin to pound it through the tender parts of the hands and feet to nail them to the cross. They ignored the cries and the curses of the crucified who after being affixed to the beams would scream and spit at the laughing crowd. But this man, this man Jesus was different. Do you remember in Isaiah, we just finished, a, uh, uh, just finished an exposition of Isaiah. It said that he went as a lamb to the slaughter. I told you there how a little lamb is completely innocent and would, and would gladly follow the farmer down to the barn to execute the young lamb. It, it, is, it is one that is easily coerced and easily taken. And no doubt this translated into Jesus and the fact that instead of having to tackle him and force him on the cross, that he merely laid down and extended his hands for the nails to pierce them. He could be heard whispering over and over again through parched lips, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. These soldiers must have scratched their heads in confusion as they witnessed the silence of the man on the middle cross as the mockers came and said, If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. He uttered not a word of rebuke. He who could have called legions of angels from the celestial uh, palaces on high to come and scourge the earth, to wipe it clean, was silent on the cross in the midst of his agony. Then it says that they watched him. They watched him. Maybe in a morbid curiosity. Maybe in ghoulish bloodlust. But they sat there and watched Jesus die. We this morning can no doubt do the same in our mind's eye. But not in fascination over his injuries. But in love because of all this means for us. We who see the complete picture of what Jesus has done for us. When we think about the agony and we think about the pain, no doubt if we were there at that scene, it would, it would tear at our hearts. It would cause us nearly to, uh, to heave in, 
in disgust at what had taken place to him. Yet at the same time, we would cry hot tears of love. Why? Because he did this for us. The bruised, lacerated, stripped, scorned, nailed body to the cross should have been ours. Should have been our death. Should have been our just punishment. The blood shed from the garden of Gethsemane to the pavement of Gabbatha to the rubble atop Golgotha was shed on our behalf. His blood instead of ours. That leads us to another point. Not only do we reflect upon His sacrifice, but let us also reckon His salvation. Like I said, what took place on that cross was was not just an execution of a peasant preacher. It had wide-reaching effect and impact. Impact on every person that has lived before Him and after Him. And during His time. It has an impact that's wide-reaching. It was not our flesh. It was not our blood on the cross because these could not be sufficient to pay for our sin and rebellion towards God. We, the fallen seed of Adam, have been given upon us the curse of Adam, our head, who sinned in the garden. And because of that curse, everyone, because of who we are, we have broken God's law. Countless times we have defiled, transgressed, We've gone beyond, we've broken, we've stomped, we've shaken our fist at God. We've we've done all this against Him, against His law. The death of Jesus is like none other in human history. Not because of all the things described from the event of Jesus' crucifixion. Not because He wore a crown of thorns. Not because he was scourged. Not because he was nailed to a cross. Not because he was gashed with a spear. Not because he was reviled and spat upon. Doubtless we could could take, go down through history and find different instances where these same cruelties were, were, were put on other people. It's not because of the event of his death. It's because his death was a substitutional death. Now this is not something new. This has always been there. When God gave the Ten Commandments, go back to Exodus 20. You look at Exodus 20. You read that. You read the thunderings of Mount Sinai. You read that law, no other gods before me. Do not lie. Do not steal. Do not covet. Do not uh, bear for all, all of these different laws placed upon the people of God. And right at the end, now go build an altar. Go build a place to sacrifice. Because you can't keep this law, you must pay the penalty. And not you, but a sacrifice. And that's why we have Exodus and Leviticus and all the substitutionary substitutionary, uh, 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 payments for sin in that Old Testament. Unlike every man that had ever lived, Jesus' death was not as the result of the curse of sin, but was as, but as the redemption from the curse of sin. Of all the people that have ever been born on the planet, He was the only one who could die for you and for me. Listen, 2 Corinthians makes it very clear. 
5.21, For he, God, hath made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. On the cross, Jesus takes my sin. He takes my punishment I richly deserve. And from that cross, from his death for me, I take his righteousness. As I stand before God, I am as righteous as His Son, Jesus. Now, you follow me around for any length of time. You're going to know, practically speaking, day in and day out, I falter, I fall, I get mad, I I do things that I shouldn't do. I, practically speaking, I do not reflect the person of Jesus in every detail. But before the Father, in my position, I stand redeemed, paid for. I stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. Romans 5, 19 through 21. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, but but so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense may abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That is, sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin leads to death. The righteousness of Jesus imputed to us through the death of Jesus on the cross equates to eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He rose again on the third day. The simple treatment of the Gospel, the simple exposition, the display, this explaining of the Gospel, to believe on Jesus, to trust in who He is, makes for the great transaction of my sin for on Him, His righteousness, Upon me. The death of Jesus on the cross was for your sins and mine. This death is a reminder of the penalty of sin. At the same time, it declares my pardon for sin. That's why it's so strange when we look at the cross. It is such a mix of sorrow for something that had happened for someone so innocent and yet an absolute dependence that it did happen on upon him. Oh, what love Jesus displays on the cross for us. Galatians 2.20 tells us that the Son of God who loved us gave Himself for us. No wonder Watts continues in his psalm by singing, See from His head, His hands, His feet, Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? Were thorns composed so rich a crown? It is that complexity of looking upon the cross and seeing the sorrow of His death and yet the love of His death for us. We see, let us reflect upon His sacrifice. Let us reckon His salvation. Finally, let us resign our submission. As we sit and watch Him, our Lord and Savior, there there on the cross dying for our sin, let us that truly believe upon Him, let it well up within our hearts a renewed desire to yield our hearts and lives fully and completely to Him. Are you there this morning? Are you standing on that lonely hill called Golgotha looking upon that great sacrifice? 
the blood, the sorrow, the tears, the spittle upon one who gave himself for us. Isn't there a sense in which we should relent all for him? Give our all to him? Watch. He finished his beautiful hymn with this exact sentiment. Listen to what he said. Were the whole realm of nature mine, there were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. When we come to the table, we are faced with the gravity of what Jesus has done for us. We are called to self-examination. I believe that's why the Apostle Paul, you know, in the church at Corinth, the, the Lord's Supper had become just a bizarre and nonsensical approach to an order of Jesus. And so, when he's trying to set things in order, instead of it being a, a, a us against them, just, I have to go in through 1 Corinthians and in the context to explain that, but Listen to what he said when we approach the table. He's telling the church of Corinth, when you approach the table, he said, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Let a man examine himself. What does he mean there? When I look at the cross and what Jesus has done, and that is, that is effectively displayed in that bread, in that cup, in that wine, When we look into these things and we see his death, we're to examine our own self. Who we are neath the shadow of that cross. Are the entreatments and invites of sin worthy to be compared with the infinite price for us, uh, paid for us in the Savior's blood? Does such a one deserve nothing more than an afterthought at the end of a day? Should he who gave so much receive so little in return from us? No. No. When faith was faced with such an astounding gift or love, we are compelled to subdue all of our worldly longings and submit our hearts in deep devotion to the lover of our souls. Oh, blessed cross, oh, love sublime, may I ever yield my all before thy cross divine. In face of that cross, we are called to yield our all. We are called to confess our sin. We are called to repent. We are called to to stoke the fires that that have faded and grown cold of love and devotion for Jesus. When you survey the wondrous cross, what do you see? Do you gawk in astonishment as maybe these soldiers did? Do you recoil in disgust? Or do you see within that cross the everlasting hope of life eternal. What do you see in that cross? When you survey the wondrous cross, forget what Isaac Watts has to say. What matters is what you see in that cross. When you survey the wondrous cross, can you just haphazardly give it a glance and give a Sunday nod and live the rest of your life any way you please, any with any 
no thought to what He's done for us. When you survey the wondrous cross, does it affect your day-to-day life? Does it affect our, our reckoning of the future? Of, our, of the way we think about our fellowship, the way we think of our church, the way we think of, of our place in this world and why God has saved us to begin with? What are we here for? Does it, does it call us to think about the way in which we live our lives? I'm not talking about people that don't know the Lord Jesus. I'm talking about people that do know Him. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count as loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Let's all stand as we give a, a time of invitation. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Page number 354. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I call you to do so. Put your trust in Him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for this view of what you've done for us. Father, I pray that you'd give us a new heart, a new recognition of what you've done for us. God, I pray you would Stoke the fires that have been cold through repetition of life, distance from the cross. Renew our hearts in love and devotion to you. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. One, maybe two verses of I surrender all. I surrender all. Page number 354, all to Jesus I surrender.